If we can bring the lights back up so I can see. <laughs> ah, there we go. There you are. Good to see you. Back in July, in our First Corinthians series, we talked about two passages of scriptures that talked about lifestyle. Some of you are saying, I left for, Chris, for, for summer break. You're still in 1 Corinthians? Yeah, we are, we are uh, taking basically 11 months, 10 months to get through 1 Corinthians. Um, if you've been here a while, you know that I take passages of Scripture largely and, and go through them uh, so that we can understand the context and how it applies to us. And so we've spent the last few months going through 1 Corinthians. And in July... We looked at two passages that talked about lifestyle, 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14, which was a little outside of Corinthians. We were talking about lifestyle and values. This addressed our actions and our life choices, our lifestyle based on our understanding of right and wrong, of morality and immorality. Activities are things that we can do, values, what we value, priorities, what's important. And if I asked most of you, most of you would probably say that you would like to do what is right. Most of us like to do what's right. And, and some things are very clear. Others, not so much. We talked about black, white, and gray. The black, the actions that are always wrong for everybody. We talked about white, those actions that are always right for all people. Then we talked about those gray areas. Actions that seem right to some, but seem wrong to others. As we looked at 1 Corinthians, the challenge of the first century Corinthian church had to do with an issue we don't see today. It's just kind of like this weird out of, out of context. So what does this mean? It was eating meat that had been dedicated or sacrificed to idols as part of the Greek and Roman pagan religion. And we talked about the fact that, that just about every meat had been offered somewhere and, uh, to some idol before it was butchered and taken to the different stores or restaurants or the sacrifice, whatever it was. And this was not a black and white issue, it was a gray area, and Paul the Apostle labels it as a gray area. It seemed right to some, it seemed wrong to others. And Paul says, sometimes it's right, and sometimes it's wrong. How does that happen? Well, the principles on how to deal with this issue, gray areas in lifestyle, of the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, really are very clear. There were people who had been Christians a long time. They were mature believers, and they said, we have freedom. Here's the truth. This is knowledge. Get over it. So they just, they were kind of intolerant to people who were stumbling over this. And then they were setting up roadblocks, speed bumps, or what they called stumbling blocks for new believers, for whom this issue of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols was too close to their pagan past. It was really recent. And they didn't want to just disregard and ignore it. And the mature believers basically never really had the whole picture. And, and knowledge that harms is not complete knowledge, but partial knowledge. They had partial knowledge, they didn't have all of it. And Gordon Fee, I quoted him, and I'll say this a couple times this morning. Freedom, we all want freedom in lifestyle especially. Freedom moves in the direction of individualized existence. It's about the individual. Love moves in the direction of community and care for others. Let me say that again. Freedom moves in the direction of individualized existence while love moves in the direction of community and care for others. Love says, I'm more concerned about your faith journey than I am about exercising my freedoms. Okay, so more about your faith journey than my freedoms. So in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, 
he writes, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with carnivorous behavior or vagans. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the context. Then we looked at three categories, biblical absolutes, community standards, and personal convictions. Biblical absolutes are eternal principles universally applied. They don't change with the times, history or culture. In other words, murder is always wrong, adultery is always wrong, stealing, idolatry, etc. There's There's just always wrong. But what about those gray areas where the Bible is not as clear as we, you know, we always would like the Bible to be very clear on everything so we know if we're in or out or right or wrong, okay? But the area that we talked about that's very relevant to today was the use of alcohol, the use of alcohol. I'm not talking about rubbing alcohol. I'm not drinking, drinking alcohol, just so everybody knows. It was the drinking of alcohol, and if you look at something called drunkenness, drunkenness is strictly prohibited. That's a biblical absolute. Timeless drunkenness is prohibited. But what about moderation? We have a lot of cultures that, that have beer with, their, beer with their brats or wine with their cheese or pasta, whatever that might be. Um, and the question was, and what do you do with that? And if it becomes a stumbling block to someone, you violated the law of love. And then it's a biblical absolute, okay? That. Now, you, then you have community standards. So you have biblical absolutes, you have community standards, which is a shared value system as a group. Now, if you're part of a community, um, the unity of your group is far more important than you exercising your individual freedom. Because, so unity is more important than exercising my rights. We must not cause a fracture or division in our community. To practice righteousness, obviously we must not violate a biblical absolute, but we must not also take what's called a community standard and make it into a biblical absolute. Let me, let me talk about that for a minute. Uh, the illustration of the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day. Taking a Sabbath is a biblical absolute. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Where to take a Sabbath? The actual day that you take that Sabbath is the community standard. Depending on what kind of group you belong to, work schedule, some people have a Sabbath on Friday. I, I usually, I know you guys don't think I work, but I, I do work on Sundays. So my Sabbath is Friday. Friday's my day off. That's my Sabbath. You, you need to have a Sabbath at some point in time. The Sabbath is a biblical absolute. The actual day is a community standard. Then the personal conviction is a, a belief in a lifestyle between yourself and God. It's a privately held belief. And a personal conviction should not violate a biblical absolute ever. But we cannot take our personal convictions and impose them on a community or make them a biblical absolute. Now, if you have any questions, it would be very helpful for you to listen to both. We have all our messages posted online. And if you have a question about that, there were two messages that go in depth on this particular thing. One is, don't eat, it's on 1 Corinthians 8, don't eat that, you don't know where it's been. The other one is entitled, Biblical Absolutes, Community Standards, Personal Convictions. And if you have any more questions about that, I wanted to do some review because we're gonna get into this today. This issue of gray areas, which caused all kinds of problems in the church at Corinth, it was, it was important, and Paul returns to this theme, and he hits it again at the end of 1 Corinthians 10. That's where we are today, 1 Corinthians 10. And his emphasis here is freedom. We all want to be free. We all want to exercise freedom. But it's true freedom. Uh, his idea of freedom may differ from our idea of freedom today. And I want us to look at this passage today to see what we can learn about true freedom. True freedom. And I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10.
1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, it's on page 930 in the uh, rack, Bible in the rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to go to verse 23 and then through 11, verse 1. Verse 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for both the sake of the man who told you for conscience sake and the other man's conscience. I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's clear. <laughs> what did I do? Okay. This thing acts up. There we go. It has a mind of its own. Okay. The context of this passage is Community. It's community. Paul's underlying assumption is community. And as we see in later passages, community is the main thing. Uh, the title of our sermon series is The Church That Never Was, The Church That Could Be. Basically, this church that, that, that never was is there was this ideal of what this, this church would be, or like the body of Christ. It never reached it. But we know that by God's grace, it can be the church that God created it to be. We are part of a community. We're part of a local church, a body, and a family. Eau Claire Wesleyan Church is not a building. It's not a building. Eau Claire Wesleyan Church is people. It's made up of people. People connected to each other in relationship. It's like a family. And when it comes to exercising our freedoms, we always consider community. Who are we connected to? Who are we connected to? Now, I'm going to give us some guidelines for true freedom that we found out in this passage today. Guidelines for true freedom. Guideline number one, put others first. Put others first. Verse 24 says, nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. Paul says there are a lot of things you, that you can do. There are a lot of things that are lawful, and you have a right to do it. All things, in this, in this case, eating meat offered to idols. And to the Corinthians, it was a question of exercising their rights. I have a right. It's lawful. It's legal. Right? And Paul says, no. No, it's not a question of legality. It's a question of love. It's a question of love. We are free to love. We're free to love. Paul isn't advocating lawlessness or situational ethics. In this particular situation, it was eating meat offered to idols, attending pagan feasts, eating dinner in a pagan's home, which likely included this idol sacrificed meat. And this is a gray area, a gray area, not black and white. Lawful? Yes. But is it putting others first? Now, if you're like me, I like to know right and wrong and boundaries, etc. So this stuff frustrates me. You know, let's just tell us what's right, tell us what's wrong, and we'll know. But it's not that simple. It's not that simple. This is a gray area. And is it lawful? Yes. But is it putting others first? 
There are many things in our life that are, that are lawful. There's no strict biblical prohibition with things we can get away with, but get away with. But is my freedom exercised in love? Is it putting others first? I told the story about a country club wedding reception that when we walked in after it was well underway, was, uh, there, it was, it was uh, alcohol was flowing smoothly. People were walking around with trays of, of champagne, et cetera. And some of my church leaders were drinking alcohol. Now, those leaders, and I, and I knew them, they, they were not alcoholics, they didn't have a stumbling block, they didn't have a problem with over-imbibing or drunkenness, and they had the freedom to have a glass of champagne to celebrate the wedding. They had the freedom, but it was freedom for self. What they were unaware of is that five people in that room, five people in that room were recovering alcoholics, including a 15-year-old boy who had just gotten out of rehab that very week. Now, I have a right, don't I? Well, my, the law says I can do that. Love says something totally different, totally different. Freedom says I can. Love dictates an entirely different course of action. Again, freedom moves in the, in the direction of individualized existence, while love moves in the direction of community and care for others. I am free to love. And when I'm free to love, put others first, my actions may be totally different. Totally different. So put others first, free to love. Secondly, when it comes to lifestyle, number two, make it constructive. Make it constructive. Verse 23 says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And the word everything, he's referring to this one gray area in regards to meat offered idols. The freedoms we have, we are free to edify. We're free to edify. Freedom to love is putting others first. Freedom to edify means build people up, build people up. In other words, I'm not trying to exercise my freedom selfishly for me, but for the good of others, so to build them up. Barclay says, many a thing that a man would do with perfect safety as far as he himself is concerned, he must not do if it is going to be a stumbling block to someone else. There is nothing more real than Christian freedom, but Christian freedom must be used to help others and not hurt them, and not hurt them. I'm going to get into some meddling, so I'm just going to use some examples, okay? I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not here to create a list of do's and don'ts, just so you know that. But I'm just going to give some illustrations of, of some of these gray areas that, that we may need to look at twice, okay? Let's talk about gambling or playing the lottery. You don't have to raise your hand, okay. Is it lawful? Yeah, sure it's lawful. Probably, depending on the motive. Now, if your motive is greed, then it's, it violates the biblical absolute. But the, I can't read your motive, so that's between you and God. Is it legal? Yes. Does it build up? Is it constructive? Are we supporting something that preys upon and destroys the poor? If our children see us and begin to emulate our example, is it constructive? See, we don't exist just for ourselves. Is it legal? Yes. Is it constructive? You know, I can't answer that for you. You can. How about, how about entertainment? Entertainment. We all love entertainment. How about a movie rated R? Is it lawful? Probably, if you're over 16. Does it edify? 
Probably not. Some, some will say, well, it has a great message. Well, it's not only the message, but it's how the story is told. If vulgarity, profanity, sex, pornography, and violence need to be the how the story is told, is it lawful? Maybe. Is it edifying? Never. Never. The valid question, do I, do I watch this movie for entertainment or do I watch it to better understand my culture? Okay, and sometimes we need to be in touch with our culture to understand where people are coming from. The motive makes a difference, but is it edifying, is it constructive? I've had people say, but, but it's real life. It's real life. Well, so is diarrhea, but you don't watch it for entertainment. <laughs> okay? Sorry. <laughs> is it good for you? Is it good for others? You can take it to, to video games or violence and fantasy. Is it lawful to, to play? Maybe it's the wrong question, is it lawful? But is it constructive? Is it constructive? The example we lead, the model we live. Chafin says, if a person exercises every freedom he has without regard for any other pe persons, he or she is likely to become enslaved again. Is it beneficial to me? Does it build others up? See, followers of Jesus are not just to seek their own good, but to promote the good of their fellow believers. Always keeping in mind, how does it affect people around me? And not stumble, spiritually seeking people who don't know Jesus yet. And we have people all around us that don't know Jesus. Do we make it constructive? Make it constructive. Number three, offend no one. Verse 32 says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Jews, Greeks, pagans, Christians, don't let anything in our lifestyle offend. This is free to be sensitive. Now some of you who are probably more like me going, what does that word mean? <laughs> sensitive, okay. I, I, I have a wife and two daughters and that's been my long-term project to learn sensitivity, okay. Um, God knew that that wasn't a normal, natural part of me, but sensitive, being sensitive. Everything we do will either move people closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus. Everything we do, is, there's, there are no neutral actions, okay? Either moves people towards Jesus or away from Jesus. I've, I've used this illustration before. Um, it's about Bellingham Bay in Puget Sound. My, my grandparents lived on Bellingham Bay. It was part of the, part of the Puget Sound in Washington State. And when I was a kid, my two older brothers and I loved to visit them and play on the beach. The water was too cold to swim in, and the beach was too rocky to really play on. So our favorite pastime was trying to bring floating driftwood into shore. We would, what we would do is we'd see this piece of driftwood at different sizes, and we'd take rocks, a lot of rocks, and we'd throw them. You know, kids love, boys love to throw rocks. Okay, throwing rocks. Throw rocks, and it would land on the other side of the driftwood, and it began to slowly move it in. And if you hit it on this side, it moved the other way, but you try to hit it on the other side. So we would literally spend hours, I mean, What's better than throwing rocks, okay? So we're throwing rocks and moving pieces, and we get that piece of driftwood, and some of them were big, but we would eventually get those pieces of driftwood in as we landed those rocks on the other side. Occasionally, we get a huge piece, but everything we did either moved it closer or further away from us. In the same way, everything we do will either cause people to come closer or be pushed further away from from Jesus, okay? 
I'm not advocating throwing rocks at people. Okay, that's a different thing. But offend, no, I just want to clarify that in a PC culture. No, I'm not, okay. Offend no one. Whatever we do, it'll either draw people in or push them away. Now, for the some, some the gospel of Jesus is offensive no matter what. The message is offensive. The message is we are all sinners. We need God's forgiveness. We need to repent. Jesus paid the price. We need to accept his gift. We can't save ourselves. Uh, sometimes just the message offends people. Okay, it's an offensive message. Propositional truth offends some people. If we believe one fact to be true, the logical deduction is the opposite is false. Okay? Propositional truth, there's true, there's false. And many of the tests we took in school included true, false questions. And the answers were unarguably true or false, not both, not maybe. It was either true or false. If we believe in right and wrong, some people are offended. That's, that's the way it is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is a, an offensive statement to a lot of people because they want to believe there are many, many roads to God. So the message. Now, we can't do anything about the message of the gospel. God has given, that's the Bible. He's given us the message of the gospel, the truth that we understand. We can't do anything to water that down, but we can do something about how we live out that message. How do, we, how do we live out that message? We are called to live out incarnationally the person and truth of Jesus and do it in a way that we offend no one. Offend no one. Is that possible? Is it possible? Or do we need to try to please everybody? Uh, offend no one is different than trying to please everybody. Paul wrote in Galatians 1.10, he said, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Gordon Fee says, Paul's concern is not that he himself be pleasing to them, but that his conduct be such that he might, may not stand in the way of their being saved. Okay? This has to do with exercising our personal freedom to stumble on believers or pre-Christians. And I trust that we all have friendships and relationships with pre-Christians. Our, our philosophy of ministry here at this church calls on us to build relational bridges to spiritually seeking people. And the purpose is to win them to Jesus, to win them to faith in Christ. And we cannot do that if our behavior fails to stack up to what we say. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna look at a part of the passage that looks a little confusing. You say, I'm already confused. Okay, that's, well, we're on, all in this together. I wanna look at the word conscience, conscience. The word conscience is used five times in four verses. Five times in four verses. And conscience is to be understood as moral consciousness. Verse 25, it says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions or conscience, questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What does that mean? The freedom to eat meat in any context since it all belongs to God. And if it was part of a ceremony, it doesn't make any difference because God made everything and so the gods they sacrifice this to don't really mean anything. So it's, it's not a big deal. He says, do that as a matter of conscience because the Lord owns everything. Verse 27, it says, if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. This is the same freedom since it's the source of meat is not disclosed, so there's no moral bearing. In other words, it's just, I'm, we're just eating meat at a restaurant, whatever that restaurant or place that is. 
But then we get to verse 28 and 29. This is where it goes, what? What are we doing? Verse 28. Verse 28, he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for both the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours, for why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? This, descri this describes a different scenario. And basically, the, the, to the person that points out the origins of this meat to a Christian did so out of moral obligation, believing that Christians, as well as Jews, would not eat this type of food. And so as to not offend that person or his moral expectations of Christians, we basically don't eat it. So these are expectations of Christians by unbelievers. Unfair expectations, perhaps, but expectations nonetheless. And in some ways, filling their expectations, not as a hypocrite, but for the greater good of not offending, is in order to win them, by, win them to faith, okay? In other words, they're gonna tell you something and they believe that it's wrong for Christians to do that, then just don't do it. That's what he says. Even though, in its pure sense, I have the freedom to do it, if they believe it's wrong and they impose that belief or they say that they have that belief, then just, just refrain from it. Confusing? Just remember, everything we do will either push people away or draw them to Jesus, draw them to Jesus. It depends on the person, the situation, the timing, and everything. That's why it's so important to really know a person so that we can discern what the correct action might be and how it might affect the person that we know. We really need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. These are gray areas. Right in one instance, wrong in another instance. Personal freedom is not to be used selfishly, but evangelistically. So put others first, make it constructive, and offend no one. Offend no one. Number four, number four. Exercising true freedom is to win people to Christ. Win people to Christ. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is free to share our faith. Free to share our faith having no obstacles in our way so that we can share our faith. And it may include eating meat offered to idols. You know, that's just, that's, that's the way it is. Now, some people say, I, I think the best thing to handle, the way to handle this is just WWJD, what would Jesus do? Okay, what would Jesus do? Don't get legalistic, don't be in bondage. Some people get up and say, what would Jesus wear today? Or what route would he take to work? What kind of car would he drive? Well, actually, he wouldn't drive because he walked everywhere he went. So if you want to really be like Jesus, then just walk, okay? But Jesus was called, Jesus was called a drinker, and he was called a friend of sinners. What is that? Well, he intersected with people where they were. Now, the difference is Jesus was all-knowing, so he knew the right thing to do to win them without offending them, okay? We're trying to win people without offending them. Jesus knew the exact right thing to do. He knew how to relate without stumbling them. And he knew how to do all that without sinning, okay? <laughs> Say, oh no, how am I gonna do this? He knew all of that. But we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in us. So we too have access to that knowledge and wisdom. 
And it may include, as I gave an illustration, having a beer with a friend. Okay? Do not offend. Everywhere we've lived, we've been involved in neighborhood barbecues and getting to know neighbors and stuff. And people are all over the map. And so you don't have a barbecue at your house and say, um, bring your own beverage. Don't, just no alcohol in our house. Or, you know, it's just, if you're relating to people, especially we had this one barbecue where our house, we were the first one in this cul-de-sac, so our driveway was out there. And so we had this neighborhood barbecue. Everybody came to our house. And, and so if my, I was associate pastor at that time, if, if my senior pastor to come by and seen all the alcohol in our driveway, I think I'd have gotten fired. <laughs> But it was, we were relating to people on their turf in their way, okay? It was, it was building bridges. How did Jesus relate to people? He entered their world. That's what Jesus did. Now we have this legalism that we have to be careful of. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. Just like at that wedding reception, what would have been right, one situation was wrong in another. Let's not major in the minors. Our goal is to build relationships, trust, so that we earn the right to share the important things, how to know God through Jesus Christ. If an unbeliever calls attention to it, it's an issue for the unbeliever. Paul says, for conscience sake, his not yours, do not. Okay, so what is Paul saying? He's saying sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. The exact same action. It depends. Think it through. Is this a biblical absolute? Is this a community standard? Is it a personal conviction? God calls on us to be thinking, intelligent, godly, spirit-filled believers who live out our life before God and to, to build relationships and win other people to Christ. It's not some mindless bunch of rules or regulations it has to be thought out and paul was very well aware of those kinds of issues are my actions of love are they edifying are they not offensive are they winning people to jesus we need god's help clearly to discern and if you're here today wondering what those christians are saying are they they hypocrites and some people say man it sounds like you're hypocritical doing one thing and doing another no we want to live authentically lovingly consistently so as to demonstrate what jesus demonstrated which was unconditional love for all people no judgment number five imitate christ touched on already 11.1 says, follow my examples as I follow the examples of Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus associated with sinners, those people, those people. He went where they were. Everything Jesus did was for others. His personal freedom was used to minister and touch lives, to reach people. This is free to be like Jesus, free to be like Jesus. And number six, do everything for God's glory. Do everything for God's glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is free to glorify God. Free to glorify God. And I think it's pretty clear, no matter what we do, if you, if you think about the fact that God is there with you, Jesus is there, and he is. And if I'm here in this situation, doing the, taking this action, would Jesus be comfortable? Would God be glorified. Does, it, does this make God look good? You know, 
basically, how do we make God look good? How do we make God look good? Glorify God. Freedom exercised with love gives God glory. Freedom exercised constructively gives God glory. Freedom exercised with sensitivity brings God glory. Freedom exercised with concern for lost people gives God glory. Freedom exercised imitating Jesus brings God's glory. And when we exercise our true freedoms, we truly glorify God. And that is true freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't shy away from tough subjects, sometimes confusing topics. We thank you, God, that you deal with stuff. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we navigate these truths and we navigate those, particularly those gray areas that, which are hard to understand and articulate, that we would, we would respond out of love for you and love for people more than anything else. And so that nothing we would do would, would stumble New believers, non-believers, people who are looking for Jesus, whatever it is, but that we would be a demonstration of that Christ-like love and attitude in relationship and community as Jesus demonstrated. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.